0: sounds cheesy i mean i probably sound like a broken record but the the thing is to to listen to the customer your friends and family when you first tell them you're thinking of starting a business they'll say oh yeah that's a good idea so then when you try it and it maybe doesn't work out they'll maybe encourage you to give up but actually the person you need to listen to is the customer you know they don't care about your feelings (laughs) you know they don't have any kind of connection to you so if the customer is telling you that it's not a good idea then possibly reassess
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first interview episode of the 30 something podcast. So before we get started, uh, it looks like two people have already left a review from just the trailer, so I can't seem to find out who you are, but thank you if anyone else wants to do the same. You're more than welcome. Diving into this episode, I sat down with Fraser Doherty. Now, Fraser is a Scottish entrepreneur who you may or may not have heard of. His nickname was Jamboy and this is because he used his grandma's recipe at the age of 14 to create this jam empire and he turned 30 back in December so he's been an entrepreneur for 16 years. He while still running Superjam he's now started up a beer subscription business called Beer 52. Now as always I don't want to give too much away but Fraser is just the nicest guy. We got connected through where I work at Slater's, we did a partnership with him and this was about two years ago. As far as Fraser knew, I was just some low-level marketing guy. But he, when he reached out to do the partnership, he was like, yeah, give me a call at six o'clock and I'll tell you kind of the plan. And we were on the phone for like an hour. He was just so passionate about Beer 52, about the business, about the people who worked with him, about everything he was doing. That He went into so much detail with me. And I bought massively into him I was asking question after question because I was genuinely curious and that's why when I started the podcast two years later he was front of mind and here he is as my first guest so we'll just dive on right in if you like the episode please subscribe please leave a review as always the video content is on the instagram page at 30 something interviews and Fraser's actually given us a wee giveaway so Fraser wrote a book a couple of years ago and you'll get the chance to win that in Sunday's video content. The video content comes out on the Instagram page Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but with Fraser's giveaway, you get an extra one Sunday, so be sure to check the page and get in with a chance to win it. Anyway, let's dive in, and it all started with cracking open a beer.
0: All right, cheers. cheers.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for joining
0: me. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, look forward to sharing you a bit about what we're up to.
1: Well, you've got an absolutely fascinating story, so I guess, for a nice easy start, will we go all the way back? Would you say everything <laughs> started at 14? Yeah,
0: pretty much. I mean, like, ever since I was a little kid, I was always interested in trying to start my own business and, you know, coming up with ideas for little projects and um, probably around the age of 10, I hatched some chickens, I got some eggs from a local farm and put them on Top of the TV. Did uh, your parents
1: know this was happening? <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, they 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 said it was okay to give it a shot at hatching these eggs, not expecting that a ten-year-old boy could find somewhere warm to put them. Yeah. And uh, put them on top of the Sky TV box, and you know, eventually they hatched. um So these little chickens probably thought that Jeremy <laughs> Kyle was their mum. You know? <laughs> Great role model. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they were soon in the back garden laying eggs, and sold the eggs to the neighbours so yeah that was my first ever little business at the age of 10 Um, but the local fox unfortunately put an end to that. That was was your first Um, like business crash (laughs) the
1: harsh reality of the business world. Wait so So, where do you think that initial spark came from?
0: I'm not sure I think as a kid I for some reason or another I, I was interested in the idea that you could I guess like take control of your own destiny in life and you didn't have to rely on working for someone else. You didn't have to um, rely on anybody else. You could come up with your own idea and make a career doing something that you love. Yeah. Um, and ever since I was a kid, you know, for me, starting a business hasn't been about trying to get rich. I think sometimes people, this entrepreneur is going to talk about how to make money and how to get rich. And uh, actually, I think the most important thing in life is that you find something you love that gives you some kind of freedom, that gives you some kind of. Uh, a sense of purpose for what you're doing with your yeah. life I mean that's that's what it's all about really so um, yeah I guess I got that feeling at maybe at an unusually young age yeah. um, a lot of people decide later on that they want to start a business but yeah in my case I kind of started out doing that that didn't work out um, was never put off to keep trying again and again um, when things didn't work first time around so at the age of 14 uh, my grandmother was cooking jam in the kitchen uh, I took an interest in it. She agreed to, you know, spend the afternoon teaching me how to make jam, and I had no idea that that would uh, go on to change my life. But I uh, started out making it in the kitchen at home, selling it in the neighbourhood, farmers' markets, uh, just on a really small scale. Well, um, so how, how
1: did you get that step? Your cooking jam in the kitchen with your grandma, yeah, and then were you just like, I want to sell this? Like, how did that decision-making process? Develop.
0: yeah Um, I had had a part time job selling bacon and sausages door to door (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah so this guy the bacon man he was kind of like a archetypal entrepreneur and he yeah I think he kind of fascinated me in a way as a kid like this guy was running his own business I don't think I'd really met many people who were doing that Mm. before yeah I, I was kind of selling bacon door to door yeah I just thought hey maybe I could make my own product and sell it door to door
1: so what was that like, as a 13-year-old knocking on people's doors and stuff? Were people quite welcoming to that? Or? Uh, no.
0: <laughs> no? I <laughs> wondered
1: if as a kid you would more of an advantage, I guess not.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, like the thing about selling stuff door-to-door is that, um, yeah, most people slam the door in your face or they say no or they're not interested or they're kind of a bit confused why you're selling bacon and sausages yeah. door-to-door in the first place. So, yeah, it, it was like a kind of a very good grounding in uh, how things are I guess in the world that like anything you try is not gonna work first time around. It might not even work second time, third sure. time, fourth time around. But, you know, if you keep knocking on doors and you keep willing to, you know, keep trying, then eventually, you know, a friendly person will open the door and buy your product. So I've kind of found that everything in life is a lot like that later on, you know, you just gotta keep keep giving it a shot.
1: Yeah, not taking no for an answer. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: From that door to door thing, you then obviously saw a market for jam. Did you start doing that door-to-door first then? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, oh, wow, I didn't so know I was, that. Um, <laughs> so I was cooking jam in the evenings after school, selling it door-to-door, and then I got a stall at the local farmer's market. Yeah, I started to kind of listen more and more to the feedback that people were giving me, and a lot of people said, look, I don't really buy much jam because it has so much sugar in it. So started thinking maybe I could make a different recipe. Came up with a way of making jam 100% from fruit, <coughs> so without adding any sugar or... Anything artificial So
1: what was your grandma's Um, recipe before? Is that a secret?
0: Originally, uh, her recipe had sugar in it Um, So I then uh, came up with the idea of putting apple juice in there and uh, So it tastes much more fruity And um, then, yeah, basically it was my dream to try and sell it to a big supermarket I convinced my dad to drive me to Waitrose He waited in the car outside And I borrowed my dad's suit Uh, It's like four sizes too big for (laughs) me Yeah, I kind of get the chance to pitch my idea to Waitrose. And, you know, this is like the senior jam buyer. He says, look, you know, it's a great idea to make 100% fruit jam, but you're going to need to set up production in a factory and offer me a good price and get labels designed. Yeah. Uh, so I'm afraid it's a no today, but um, you're welcome to come back, you know, maybe in a year and we can talk about it again. So I spent some time getting things set up at the factory, getting mm-hmm. labels designed, and it took a few attempts, but, yeah, eventually they... Agreed to put it on their shelves.
1: Well, nice that you and which Waitrose obviously being one of the more upmarket ones.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's like a testament to them that they were even willing to listen to an idea from anybody from you know from a kid. You know, I think sometimes people ask like, oh, how do you get in touch with a supermarket, or how do you get in touch with a company that you're trying to sell your product to, and. To be honest, like, people's email address is usually just their first name dot their last name at yeah. like the company they work for dot com. <laughs> I worked in recruitment. It was so easy to just hack that method. So, yeah, just don't be afraid. I mean, a lot of people won't get back to you. Obviously, they're, they're busy people. But, you know, if you're not afraid of just sending you know, an email to people and say, look, this is my idea. I think you'd be the right person to help me with it. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do next. You know, yeah. can you give me some advice? Then you know, if people have the time, they'll point you in the right direction.
1: I imagine sending a number of emails is much easier and less soul-destroying than going door-to-door, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. nothing to you. So, you got the labels, you got the production and everything done, yeah. went to Waitrose and they said yes?
0: First of all, they said no, uh, again. Oh, again, um, okay. And <laughs> what was the reason the second time? Um, so, the originally I had this idea that the labels should be funny, that it should be like a comic book, like Super Jam, Superman... And right. I was um, this jam boy kind of superhero character, um, which I quite like the idea of. But was this before you got given the nickname? This was I. Th- I've basically been called jam boy ever since the very beginning. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that was like a media sort of nickname they'd given you, or I think maybe kids in school were trying to tease me with it or something. Right. But, uh, okay. I didn't. I didn't pay much attention to that. I bet. they weren't wrong. Um, you were a boy making jam, yeah.
1: So <laughs> they hit the nail on the
0: head and then um yeah so that then he he kind of uh, he said look packaging is not supposed to make people laugh you know it's supposed to explain why they should buy your product and went through some more designs and agreed to like put it on the shelf and he was like look no promises maybe it'll work maybe it won't work but when it launched there was kind of out of nowhere a whole lot of media coverage i don't know if it was like a slow news day or something like right, this yeah. but managed to get managed to get into the newspapers and um, did you
1: reach out to them or did it just came out of the no, it,
0: ju- it just kind of snowballed you know there was like an article in I think like the Scotsman and then you know a journalist who was writing for the Financial Times read it and wrote a little article and then someone else reads that and then it kind of sure. kind of snowballs like that so I think Chris Evans on his radio show had um, just made this comment like oh I, I read this funny story today about this kid who was selling his granny's jam and he's just got it into Waitrose you know how funny is that and then I get a phone call the next day and it's like hello i'm jam buyer at tesco uh, i heard chris evans mention you on his show last night and how quickly can you supply all of our stores with your products great so <laughs> i've now realized that doesn't normally happen <laughs> a, stro- a stroke of a stroke of luck and then we launched in many more supermarkets um, i got an email one day from an entrepreneur in korea and uh, south korea and they said Look, I read about your story and I'd love to try and sell your product here in Korea. Um, Can you send us a couple hundred jars as samples? And then a few weeks later, they said, we need 20,000 jars. Uh, We've got an order. So I thought, wow, you know, I'd better go to Korea. I didn't know much about the place. I'd never been there before. The timing
1: was quite good, though, wasn't it? Because was the UK market slowing down? At the time Yeah
0: yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd kind of Yeah like go and launch In a new country And like have this kind of new, You know New opportunity for the yeah. brand And uh, I basically got the opportunity To meet A lady called Che Yura She's basically like South Korea's answer To Oprah Winfrey Something like that Okay And so she uh, Said look I'd love you to come on my Home TV shopping show uh, But we've got to do it in Korean So I kind of Practice and practice And try and memorise Some Key phrases about jam In <laughs> <the> Korean <laughs> and uh, we spent we kind of go to record the show and i said look i i can't speak korean but i know these five sentences and if you ask me these five questions in this order <laughs> yeah yeah i'm like prepared for that <laughs> it'll look like we're having a conversation okay okay she did ask those five questions but not in the same order <laughs> so, so you <laughs> gave the answers in the wrong order <laughs> Uh. So quite, quite a surreal conversation, I think. Um, you know, where, where are you from? Well, my grandmother grew up on a farm in yeah, Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of just about worked and, um, yeah, it, it, it's, the products sold really well. And... Oh, so did that interview go live? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah. Every, everyone must have been
1: like, who's this eccentric Scottish yeah, yeah, guy? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So somehow it worked and, um, yeah, since then we kind of went into more stores in korea uh we started selling peanut butter and honey and other products like that so and then we had a kind of fun adventure launching in japan how did that come about so i think well originally there was uh basically i actually didn't know about it but at the time but there was uh, a tv drama in japan made about basically about my life story
1: (laughs) so they made it without telling you
0: yeah i I think it was like completely out of the blue you know they'd basically found I don't know if there was something got lost in translation but they'd found like a small Indian boy to play my (laughs) part of the movie (laughs) Uh, and then you know his mom was Japanese and uh, it was kind of a very um, interesting scene but have you watched it yeah yeah is that any good Uh, Uh, yeah yeah, (laughs) and it's like it was apparently quite a big tv show in Japan and um, so on the back of that you know people got in touch and we started selling over there so yeah Kind of had this kind of funny adventure with Super Jam. Learned a lot, been able to kind of go to some interesting countries. We've also set up like a charity as part of Super Jam. We do tea parties for older people who maybe like live on their own or in care homes. Very nice, yeah. That was inspired by uh, my grandmother. She would make jam and scones and take my little brother and I with her at the weekends. He'd play his guitar and I would tell them stories and we'd have you know scones and jam. Since then, we've kind of started running like hundreds of free tea parties.
1: uh, Internationally.
0: Mostly in the UK, um, we've had some in Korea. We had one or two in America, although in America we don't call them tea parties. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, I guess like that's more or less like the kind of Super Jam adventure, I suppose. Um, no,
1: we'll we'll obviously get to beer fifty two and kind of everything you're doing at the moment. But what's the state of Super Jam at the moment? Are you kind of hands off with it now or are you still day to day oversee?
0: Yeah, still still overseeing it and um, basically we recently like updated the packaging so sort of trying to get back into more stores and uh, thinking about like different gift packaging and maybe just kind of repositioning it a little bit. Okay. Um, the thing about packaging, I guess, is like you can design it and put it on the shelf and if you don't update it for 15 years, like it, it's going to look outdated by that time. So kind of refreshed it. Yeah, still still, hopefully got a bright future ahead. Nice. Yeah.
1: I mean, I suppose like any sort of advertising, people just get a blindness towards it, right? If they're seeing the same thing, do you find that they just sort of tail off?
0: Yeah, I think you have to you have to like constantly re-energize your brand, like especially if you're selling into retailers. You have to, uh, you know, the whole supermarket is just constantly changing and refreshing, and new products are launching all the time. So, yeah, if you want to stand out, you need to be conscious of that.
1: We won't name anyone. Is there any like up and coming <laughs> competitors that you can see on the horizon, or is it?
0: Well, thankfully, like the jam market's not the most dynamic. Industry, there's some really great brands, you know, really great traditional brands, but um, there's not that many startups, so yeah. it doesn't change all that much. Th- thankfully, it's uh, fairly stable.
1: Good. So, Superjam got built up to a certain point, and you've now moved into Beer 52, your beer subscription business. That's it. Obviously, I'm assuming beer was a massive passion of <laughs> yours. How was the transition? <laughs>
0: Well basically what, how it came about was I kind of had this journey with Super Jam and then I started kind of looking around for other ideas and basically I got told about this guy James Brown and I was told he's got this fantastic idea for a craft beer club. Basically James originally had started Beer 52 and he went on like a motorcycle road trip with his dad. They've got like a Harley Davidson, they went down to Faro and stopped off in Belgium and stuff like that and uh, kind of discovered his love of craft beer and came back to Scotland and you know when we met he kind of explained look I've got this idea I want to do a beer club and every month we'll go to a different country try all the beers and uh, send the best ones out to our members so so yeah i was like you know i'm in that sounds sounds great and you know i would kind of been fascinated by the success of lots of different craft breweries um you know we've got like brew dog here and sure, stuff yeah. like that so we've kind of been really inspired by a lot of those stories and you know james is like a very passionate kind of driven person so i thought this is um yeah this is great i'd love to love to get involved
1: and you did and here we are yeah <laughs> <laughs> So what sort of what point had James built it up to?
0: So I think at that time, Beer Fifty Two had a website and kind of an initial version of the product and some you know contacts with breweries and, and stuff like that. Um,
1: so no subscribers at this point.
0: I don't think we had any subscribers at at that early point. But then the the next step was to figure out yeah how to how to kind of get a critical mass of customers initially so that you know so the breweries would be excited to work with us and we tried all kinds of different approaches and I guess like our whole style of doing business is that we always assume that we don't know the right answer like probably what we're thinking is wrong but if we bash it around between us or if we just try a few things then you can start to realize what might or might not be the right way of doing things so we've always like done a lot of experimenting with marketing channels and with the product itself you know over time just really learned a lot more about beer but also a lot more about what people like we collect like thousands and thousands of reviews from the customers they get points for reviewing the beer and then the different rewards along the way and then we use that information to get better at selecting beers that we know people are going to love and in the beginning i think our idea was just that you know we would send a selection of beers later on we kind of had this idea that we would put a magazine in the box as well Um, why like what was the thinking behind it well i think like first off we just started putting like a you know a4 page with like tasting notes on the beers in there and then it became a couple of sides, and then we realised, like, these breweries have really the interesting backgrounds, different stories. Um, some of the people who've set them up are real characters, uh, and they're really passionate about what they're doing. So, yeah, let's figure out how to tell those stories. And I guess, like, my magazine is kind of, like, old school in this, like, digital age or whatever, but... Yeah, we thought there's something lovely about getting a box of beers, sitting down, flicking through the magazine and, you know, drinking the same beers that are being written about in the magazine that we've gone and discovered in different countries. So it turned out to be a winning formula. And for the breweries, it's like a great chance to tell their story, to kind of get their... You know get their their
1: story across so so yeah, i guess okay. back a wee bit to when you first came into beer 52 what was obviously your interest in the idea what was like your first thoughts when you came in because obviously you were brought in to like give ideas what were the specific tweaks that you were like right this is a weakness this is the way you want to go mm-hmm. this is what you want to do this is how you're going to see growth
0: yeah What I've always loved about this kind of business is um, that we have a direct relationship with the customer. We do direct marketing, like we put, you know, we experiment with inserts in magazines or sponsoring podcasts or different things. And then we always are tweaking what we're doing based on the success of it. And then the customers have this like direct contact with us, you know, they're, we're delivering it to their house, they're emailing us if anything goes wrong or if they have an idea. So this like really live direct relationship with the customer was very different to Super jam, you know. I was putting a product on the shelf of a supermarket, and I had no idea who buys it or how often do they buy it or, you know, what other jams do they buy if they don't buy this one or. So really...
1: supermarkets don't give access to that information. I imagine they wouldn't give about your competitors, but about hmm. your own product, they don't.
0: Um, yeah, maybe if you pay for it, I guess you can you can right, get a lot of okay. information. But certainly, as a as a startup at that time, I I felt really um kind of blind. I didn't really know what the customer who the customer was what they want what I love about doing an internet business direct to consumer is that you've got this like constant feedback from the customers and you experiment with something we say okay let's try this new design of the box or let's try this new style of content in the magazine or different beer we've never tried before or whatever and you then quickly get all this feedback and you realize okay people don't like that but they do like this so I think that right from the start we just had this approach of like let's just try stuff and then actually listen to what customers say I Mm. think it sounds like uh, it is a cliche you know businesses say oh yeah we listen to our customers but unless you actually are actively putting a process in place where like members of your team are able to say okay this is what we should change because this is what customers need you know you're not really listening so yeah we kind of just have always been like addicted to that feedback and constantly improving what we do. To take a quick
1: sidebar, then, just because I'm curious and before I forget the question. <laughs> Super Jam still in supermarkets. Yeah. Have you had the temptation, hopefully, no supermarkets are listening, <laughs> have you had the temptation to take it out and make it B2C? Because obviously, you've got mm. all the knowledge and experience in that now. Have you? It's a
0: great question. Yeah. I mean, it? I guess, like, so basically, like, people buy. I think for the most part, people buy jam in the supermarket, like changing that behavior I think would be would be difficult. Sometimes people kind of email us and say, "I've got this idea for a subscription company." I'm going to put whatever product in a box, and people are going to subscribe. You say, well, is it is that something that people want to subscribe to? Mm-hmm. So does it, is that the right way for them to buy that product? Some products you're going to have to sell through traditional retail, because right. that's where the customer wants to buy it. Other products you can can work in retail, like obviously people buy beer in supermarkets, but it can also work online. It could also work in like your own shop or your own bar. Or yeah. Some products can work in different different channels. So beer is one of those. One of those things, yeah.
1: yeah, and jam, maybe not so <laughs> much. You don't think?
0: I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. Uh, we do have we do sell on the website, but it's not a very big volume, you know. Yeah, um, yeah so that was a quick
1: sidebar. Back to beer 52, <laughs> we obviously started speaking when yeah. we did a partnership, and that was two years ago. Beer 52 has only been up and running for three years, so back three years ago, how many was it when you started? Did you say we had this discussion? Obviously, um, so briefly. I
0: guess in the early days, we in the beginning it was it was James and then I joined and then a couple of other members of the team joined and we kind of grew the team out now we're about 25 people and here we do all of the designing the website marketing customer service we work with a warehouse which is down in Birmingham and they actually pack the beer and send it out
1: yeah so how's that transition been from two man team to 25 person team including yourself and James and I guess young entrepreneurs probably have it's the Mm -hmm. struggle of It's not a struggle of managing people But I guess it's like The challenge The change Mm -hmm. You're hiring people You want to keep kind of the culture And the soul of the company I mean What challenges Or excitement Have you found there? Yeah
0: Yeah I guess like Basically you uh, You have to try and figure out Yeah what are your own Skills Like yeah I would say I'm only, only good at a couple of things, yeah. a few things. What would you and say yours are? I guess it's idea? like coming up with ideas or like kind of direct marketing or figuring out something like, you know, how the product should be, maybe. Then there's all these other aspects of the business that have been lucky enough to find really talented people who are you know, way better than James or I at managing the customer service team or analyzing data or designing the website or editing the magazine yeah i guess the key is like always try and find people who are better than you at doing Mm. each different thing otherwise you know otherwise it won't develop yeah and then and then try and give them as much freedom as you can to actually do their job and um sometimes yeah that can be tricky like figuring out yeah i guess like as an entrepreneur one of the things is that sometimes you can get too into the Details and come across as like micromanaging or something. If you right. zoom right into one little thing that you think is a problem or whatever, and then at the same time you have to figure out how to give people freedom so they can try all their own ideas, make mistakes, you know, do take things in the direction that they think is right. And so is it's that something
1: of, that just came with time?
0: I think it's something that's. Um, I guess that's a skill that we've been trying to trying to learn and develop. Yeah we both got into this because we love you know starting something coming up with ideas and then as it as you develop a team like it's um it's amazing you know amazing to work with you know talented people and it's like a new phase of the development of your business where you're not you're not thinking about how are we going to make this thing work or how are we going to survive as a business it's like you're thinking about how do we make it more efficient and a nicer place to work and um, there's different different kind of phase of growing your business so enjoy the enjoy the challenge yeah
1: I kind of wanted to also hone back to you mm. saying direct marketing is mm. one of your top skills, which I think is like one of the most important skills mm. any business person can have. Sure. But I think it's so, so undervalued. Yeah. And like today's digital age, and obviously there's digital ways to do direct marketing, sure. but like it's crazy that some people are just mm. like anything outside of social media or like website yeah. is pointless. And yeah, yeah. obviously it's one of like your expertise you're not just gonna brush it off but why or has it not interested you to move away from it and move to you know the hot sexy (laughs) ways of marketing that people don't stop talking about sure
0: something we really believe in is like uh you need to do marketing that you can actually measure and you know if you're going to invest in a certain channel or a certain campaign or whatever then you want to be able to see how many people signed up from that place and how much did they go on to spend over their lifetime and you can optimize you know the right channels and the right campaigns based on based on measuring those two things Mm -hmm. but it's actually not a very uh, it seems like a lot of people do marketing where they think oh, I've managed to get from fourteen thousand followers on Instagram to seventeen thousand followers yeah. and it's maybe like a different priority and maybe that's for certain brands maybe that's exactly what you should be trying to do. But for us we're we're all about trying to get more people to join our club and yeah just trying to grow as a business. So we end up doing types of marketing that are not seen as like sexy or something like that. We put flyers into magazines and you know that works really well for us. We do lots of partnerships as you know yeah. so Try and figure out like how can we scratch other people's back and how can they scratch ours and.
1: Well, do you know what? Just because not everyone who's watching or listening will exactly understand mm. what a partnership is or how it works, and can you tell people exactly what it is you guys yeah. do, and then also talk about the success you guys have seen with it, like yeah. the way your subscription numbers have just gone through the roof yeah. because of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So like, we we always we're always looking for like, new companies that we can partner with and that can be anything from like a restaurant to like an online retailer or all kinds of different companies and the thing that we're looking for is companies that have the same type of customer as we do Mm. and so how can we help them to maybe promote what they're doing to our customer base and you know we can promote what we do to theirs so for example um, so like with with, uh, with yourself at Slater's you know we go after like an audience that is similar to what we're trying to go after with beer 52 you know we can offer those your customers like a free case of beer you know because we know that people who are your customer are probably going to be quality customers they're going to be the right fit for us so and then in return we can help to promote what you're doing to our customer base so the great thing about this is like it doesn't cost almost anything yeah just the printing of vouchers exactly yeah yeah. Um, and another
1: great thing about vouchers is it's got a specific sort of barcode people could use so it was beer 52 slaters yep. and you could measure the success from specific brands
0: exactly yeah yeah so we can say okay you know we did an insert in i don't know say we did an insert in like the guardian or something 20 people signed up we can then track like how did they how much did they spend over the years that followed yeah and lifetime value how, lifetime value and how did that compare to other other types of media so yeah by putting a code on there we're able to do that and from
1: my own curiosity how have you found press ads because again what you hear about is mm. is dead doesn't work have you guys seen much success with it when you've done it or
0: yeah i mean i think like the key is finding the right audience um you know you can have a lot of success with sometimes a really tiny title that doesn't have a huge circulation but it's exactly the right type of people we run ads in like the metro newspaper or some some like huge circulation magazines and newspapers but also like little tiny magazines that you would be amazed uh, perform well yeah you've got to just test stuff yeah. you know don't bet the farm on one full page ad in the telegraph or something like that sure. the first time you, you do this kind of stuff but put an insert into a small magazine and just see how it performs for you and then yeah test different designs you know the actual design of the vouchers makes a big difference so it's not sexy stuff yeah, you know, it's not it's not the kind of marketing that a lot of people are excited by but we really love it because it's uh, measurable it actually works like we can target the right kind of people so but that's
1: why these sort of conversations are interesting because again all people hear about is The Sexy Unicorn over in San Francisco Mm -hmm. that is making zero money, it's at a loss, (laughs) it's doing very cool, exciting marketing, but it's not actually a functioning business. Whereas what you guys have is a steady ship, because of all your guys' data analytics and doing things that specifically get ROI, Mm -hmm. as I kind of mentioned before, your numbers are just going up and up and up, like... If you can give me an example how many subscribers were you getting per month 2 years ago? How many per month a year ago?
0: Yeah, so like we're now up to about 60,000 subscribers, so makes us the most popular beer club anywhere in the world. Mm, very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And basically we've doubled every year since since we started, so this time last year it would have been 30,000, year before that 15,000 something like that. So yeah, just by being focused on listening to what our members want, by focusing on like always trying to improve the beer selection and the magazine and the actual service that we give, like the reliability of like the delivery, and we've been able to kind of make something that, that people love. And I
1: think part of that is obviously direct marketing is one of the big things, but like your guys' brand. And you gave me the tour of the office, you know, you've got this really nice, fresh, young sort of feel, <laughs> it's very homely. And for anyone who's received a beer, 52 box, your whole your branding, the style, Ferment, which is the magazine which comes. It's, it's funny because you said when you did Super Jam, it was kind of cartoony Mm. and I would say there is a sort of cartoony thing to ferment not like in a childish way but in a a nicely drawn graphic sort of way how did how did you guys like create the brand
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Like we've, I guess it's kind of evolved over time, and that we love illustration. So we work with loads and loads of different illustrators, and we have a different illustrator every month designs the cover of the magazine. So someone different every month. Yeah, yeah. From around Europe. From all around the world, actually. Right. Okay. um, Yeah, we kind of follow lots of different you know blogs and instagrams of different illustrators and yeah we're we're able to find some some pretty cool people yeah that's cool yeah i think it's like how things look and, and the design of it is really really important so that also is the case with like the actual beer itself sometimes it can be a real shame when you know brewery sends us a beer and it tastes great but you know the label doesn't look great how, how things look is really important so you know this beer is from dig bruco it tastes great it's uh you know really kind of up and coming brewery in birmingham and uh yeah the, the shout founder, out to dig bruco yeah <laughs> founder's like an artist so yeah a combination of like looking great tasting great is really important in yeah in craft beer so
1: going back to the whole brand How did you guys create it? You know exactly what it is Mm -hmm. now. Was it strategic planning that led you to the point? I'm just curious Mm -hmm. how you've got it so right because it's a brand that clearly speaks to 60,000 people which, if numbers continue, will be 120,000 people <laughs> next year.
0: The key thing, first of all, is like to figure out what it is that you are, like what is it that you stand for. In our case, we're um, we're a beer club. What we stand for is like making beer inclusive, like beer should be something for everybody. It shouldn't feel elitist. definitely shouldn't feel like it's aimed at only at men, which is how a lot of you know, traditional beer advertising looks. See how you said elitist. Do you think
1: that's a way a lot of craft... Beer has maybe gone.
0: I wouldn't necessarily say so, but I think that some people can maybe feel intimidated by craft beer. They feel like, oh, that's something I don't totally understand. So, you know, I don't want to kind of go up to the bar and order the wrong thing and feel embarrassed when it comes and it's not what I thought it yeah. was. Or, so, we want to make it feel like, okay, if you're curious about beer or if you're a real expert beer geek, you know, you're all welcome to, to kind of be a part of our club. And we're going to make it really easy to try great beers and learn about different styles and You know, the fun thing is, you know, you get a whole range of different styles every month. So some of them you're going to love, some of them you don't love, but then you learn what that style is and it kind of broadens your own palette. And I know that for myself, you know, when we first started, I was interested in craft beer, tried homebrew unsuccessfully a few times. Uh, It was something I was interested in, but definitely wasn't an expert. And we've kind of gone on this journey of tasting lots of beers and learning about flavors. And, you know, the more you learn about it, the more you enjoy it. So, yeah, we just want to take take our members on that journey so maybe it took us a bit of time to figure out that that's what it is that we're trying to do and that's what it is that we stand for and but once you're clear about what you stand for and what you believe in like it, it's easy to figure out how to kind of represent that with the design or you know with the kind of content that you produce.
1: Cool so it's been a very interesting journey. So moving to I guess more your inner entrepreneurial sides you wrote a book the foresight <laughs> of podcast you've obviously started two successful businesses what brought about the book?
0: O- over the years like people had sometimes just emailed and said look I'm working on this business idea do you have any tips and you know something that people would often say is like oh, I've got this idea for business and you know, I've been thinking about it for like 10 years and I've never quite got around to doing it and I just thought like from my own experience just try it maybe it'll work maybe it won't work but it's not something that you need to sit on for 10 years and wonder yeah. about so yeah I kind of wanted to write this book which I guess gives encouragement to someone who's maybe starting a business for the first time or even if someone already has a business some of the principles are that you know you should be able to try out a new idea in a short space of time. The the concept is like the 48-hour startup. So I tried to start a business in two days, going from like a blank piece of paper... uh, You know, grab it, (laughs) wave up, prop
1: for the camera. For the podcasters, we have a copy of Fraser's book. The 48-hour startup from idea to launch in one weekend.
0: That's it. Um, So yeah, it was kind of... Went through all the different steps of how do you actually come up with an idea? How do you come up with a name? How do you get somebody to design your logo all the way through to how do you find your first customers? And yeah, some of the principles in there are not just about starting a weekend, but also some of the things that I believe about running a business as well. And just the attitude of like, you don't really know if something's going to work until you try it. And probably the first time you try it, it won't work perfectly, but you'll learn a lot from the experience of trying, either from the feedback you get from customers or you know just from the process itself so I think sometimes people think that their idea has to be perfectly formed and they have to you know hit a hole in one and it has to be a huge success right away and in reality most things aren't like that you know most a lot of businesses they start out doing one thing and it kind of evolves a little bit over time until they crack exactly what it is that customers want I guess it's kind of our whole approach is just try things learn and um, go from there
1: Actually, execute an experiment, basically.
0: Yeah, and don't sit don't sit around on ideas for years and years. I mean, ten
1: years is a long time. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah it it's like uh, it doesn't have to be something that means you have to quit your job. You don't have to risk a lot of money. You can start something and at least test your idea for very little money, uh, very quickly, and then that will give you the encouragement to keep going if it is a good idea, or if you get some feedback from people, then you know figure out what you need to change.
1: So, what are the top steps? you would give people if you were to like summarize it right now mm.
0: i think um i mean the first the first thing it starts with an idea so that's all about looking at what you're passionate about yourself think uh, don't try and start something that you're not that passionate about because you think it's going to make you rich because you know chances are it'll take a lot longer than you think it won't work first time around and then you'll more often than not quit so work on something that you actually care about uh, <laughs> And then um, once you've got an idea, you know, you're know you going to have to come up with a name and you're going to have to do that sort of thing. But don't labor over that forever. You know, sometimes people spend months trying to come up with the perfect name, but, yeah. you know, actually just pick something yeah. and run with it. And then you're going to need to like develop a website, but there's some really easy tools like Shopify. You can design a website in an afternoon without even needing to know how to code yeah. or anything like that. So you can get yourself online uh, pretty quickly. And then you know create a design for your website or for your brand or packaging depending on what you're doing you can find like freelancers online really easily you know go and look for people whose work you like see if they're available to do a couple days work for you and you don't have to spend tens of thousands of pounds on designing your logo or designing your your first packaging like spend enough that it actually looks great it's it can be a pretty quick process what's the main stumbling block you
1: think most would come across and that would actually stop them has there been like a consistent thing that they've reached a point and they've given up
0: Mm. i think like mostly um the biggest challenge is like in your own mind you know it's like actually trying in the first place you're giving your idea a shot and then when it doesn't work first time around trying again so that's all about your own mindset about you know being realistic about this process and knowing that it's not going to work the first time i guess other big stumbling blocks are uh, that people try it they get a one rejection or they have one bad experience and then they think oh this is just never going to work and they and they quit and i'm not somebody who would encourage you to just persist forever relentlessly sure, on yeah. an idea because quite often ideas are bad you know quite often you've come up with something you thought was a good idea you've put it into the world nobody wants to buy it like don't you know if if everybody tells you that it's a terrible idea and nobody ever wants to buy it then yeah you need to change something about it like don't just doggedly persist with this thing that you think is a good idea and no one else does but
1: it's a balance right because you've got so many people being like never give up but then you've got people being like know the right time to give up and it's a very hard thing for people to read right
0: so I think the thing to listen to is it sounds cheesy I mean I probably sound like a broken record but the, the thing is to, to listen to the customer your friends and family they'll say oh yeah that's you know when you first tell them you're thinking of starting a business they'll say oh yeah that's a good idea they'll never tell you that it's a terrible idea because they don't want to hurt your feelings so then when you try it and it maybe doesn't work out they'll maybe encourage you to give up because they think god you're wasting all this time on this thing you're getting hurt by it it's not going anywhere just quit but actually, the person you need to listen to is the customer. You know, they don't care about your feelings. <laughs> you know, they don't have any kind of connection to you. So if they're telling you, yeah, your idea is quite good. But, you know, if it was just a little bit different, then maybe I would buy it. Then, yeah, you, that gives you some encouragement to, yeah. to change it. But if the customer is telling you that it's not a good idea, then that's when you should possibly reassess. So
1: going back to the 48-hour startup. I'm curious, do you know anyone who's read it and then done a startup within the sort of, obviously not two days, <laughs> but
0: from that period? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I guess I, I would say that, of course, you don't have to start your business in two days. Of course, but, uh, There are definitely people who've kind of written to me and said that, yeah, they, they did get the encouragement to just try it or give their idea a shot. And I think sometimes once you just get over that mental block of thinking that this is a commitment of a lifetime, starting a business, and you realise, actually, maybe I'm only going to spend couple hundred pounds testing out this idea this weekend on a few customers Then yeah, it's not so scary i've heard from people who've, who've uh, set up businesses and yeah it's great great to hear
1: i was gonna say so what's it like like how does that feel when you get people who reach out being like you have given me the confidence to start this thing i've had in my head for 10 years
0: <laughs> i think uh i wouldn't take any credit for them starting a business you know like they had it in them all along and they had the idea and if reading this or you know a bunch of books about starting your own business has kind of given them a little nudge to actually do it then yeah that's a great thing and I guess some of this approach of how we think about doing a business is um yeah maybe different to to some other entrepreneurs and yeah people might find that refreshing like some of the, the way we think about it I guess like every entrepreneur has like a totally different story like every successful business is a totally unique thing so yeah. I would always encourage people to like read the stories of lots of different businesses like what I think isn't the right answer at all there's uh so many other perspectives on it you got you got to yeah read read a lot of other entrepreneurs stories like see what fits with you and yeah some some people will tell you like you know that your idea does need to be perfect before you try and sell it to anybody other people will say like Social media marketing is the only way you can grow a business in the twenty first century, and there's lots of different approaches. This is what's worked for me, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. Um, How long ago did you write the book again? So the forty hour startup was like four or five years ago, something like that. Right, so so that's that's
1: actually a decent amount of time. Has anything changed? from when you wrote it is there anything you'd sort of add
0: um yeah you're kind of always learning always learning stuff all the time but at least for 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 that book the kind of principles of it i think would be the same like whether i was starting a business 10 years ago or 10 years from now maybe it's like just the mindset isn't something that changes and the like basic principles of like what makes something work and not work and how to motivate yourself like those are hopefully um timeless hopefully timeless things yeah
1: so on to the name of this podcast. <laughs> the reason I started it yeah. is obviously because I think people's thirties is an extremely interesting period with pressures of you know society, people expecting you have to be at a certain point in your life. You know, in a relationship or married or with kids or oh, in sure. your career and whatnot. You've got a very successful career and anything. Have you ever felt any outside pressures from family, friends, the world, feeling that you've got to maybe focus less on work or how do you balance that whole thing?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, like. I was really lucky that, you know, my parents, you know, they were the kind of parents that just said, look, you need to just do what you love in life. And, you know, they never put any pressure on, like, you should go down this career path or that career path. And, you know, whenever I told them I was trying out an idea, they would always be, you know, supportive. You know, when I told them I wanted to hatch chicken eggs on top of the TV, they didn't say no. So that kind of sums up their their approach. And I think, yeah, thankfully, I've benefited from having the freedom to, like, try anything out. I wanted in my career, and maybe other parents would have told their 14-year-old kid that the idea of leaving school to make jam every day was a bad idea, but, you know, I was lucky enough that nobody discouraged me or yeah. said it wasn't going to work.
1: Yeah, I guess... Uh, Sorry, this is a tough one, because everyone's so used to speaking about their businesses. Hmm. When you get to the personal level, yeah. <laughs> it's a wee bit more... Yeah. It's not that it requires more thought, but it's a different topic. Yeah, like, I mean... Topic.
0: I, I really love love what i do obviously like it's, it's kind of i really feel like i'm doing the thing that i was born to do and that makes me very happy i wouldn't want to pretend that starting a business and making it work isn't going to take a lot of time <laughs> and that you're probably not going to that of course you have to invest a lot of time in it so you know maybe that comes out of uh, time that otherwise you would be spending doing i don't know with your family or whatever yeah. whatever else so I couldn't really pretend that, that otherwise but i mean i have a balanced life and i'm not like right uh, I'm not some kind of sleeping under the desk kind of uh, working yeah, all the time yeah. type person at all i guess like when you do something that you love it, it's cheesy i know but you, you do end up working hard at it because you enjoy it and it fulfills you and then if you work hard at something then you know chances are it'll work for you so it's not necessarily a bad thing for me this is what what i love yeah. what i love doing well,
1: that's when my grandpa was used to say as you said as cheesy as it is if you love what you're doing you never work a day in your life mm. So, and I feel in the beer industry, that's probably quite, quite <laughs> easy. So, I guess long term wise, like, what's the plan? You've got Super Jam, you've got Beer 52. Do you think you'll get sort of itchy feet to do something else <laughs> next? And then.
0: Well, yeah, I guess like one of the things about being an entrepreneur, maybe, is like you do end up having all these different ideas all the time and you think, oh, let's do this, let's do that, let's do that. Yeah, something that you have to figure out is how to focus and not try and do. Too many things all at once because you're not going to do a good job with them all. I'm kind of really enjoying what we're doing with B-52 and it's like really focused on it. Yeah, I think it's got a long way to go. So
1: Is it taking a lot of self-control to kind of not have shiny object syndrome <laughs> sort of thing? Or are yeah, you getting that to the yeah. point now where you are I think f- able we, to be
0: focused? Yeah, I think I think maybe we've figured out how to identify like, you know, is this just a shiny new idea or, or is this what we should be doing? And, you know, often like the thing that you should be working on is the thing that's already right in front of you and it's like... um. Yeah, you do have to figure out how to, I guess just stay focused on what you're already working on, and Beer 52's got a long way to go, so no plans to do anything else anytime soon. But I think in terms of like my life and my career, like I'm, I love coming up with ideas and yeah. starting businesses, so I'm sure uh, somewhere in the future I'll you know start other, start other things at some point. Sure.:
1: Is there anything you would have changed from the last 10, 15 years?
0: I guess like something that I've learned just comparing the two experiences you know one uh with Superjam I was doing business on my own the downside of that is like when you come to a bump in the road you just get stuck there and like you can't see how to overcome this problem so sometimes you can get stuck at a particular point for ages then with Beer52 I was lucky enough to you know meet James and yeah. having a business partner having you know someone else who's kind of there with you is a very powerful thing and it's been fantastic because we've come up against a problem and one of us hasn't seen around it but the other has and you know you can kind of get things moving much much more quickly than if you were doing it on your own and then there's also someone to like celebrate with when it goes well and often when we come up against a problem we both come at it and say look we're both probably wrong about this like we don't really know the answer but let's just put it all on the table what we all think bash it around and you know between us we'll come up with a idea that was better than either of us would have individually had so I guess I would say like you know if you are thinking of starting a business or you know you've got an idea maybe try and find a business partner or a couple of business partners people who you can kind of do that with I think I think there's something really powerful about basically having somebody to motivate you hold you accountable even like to say look come on we need to do this to kind of go on that, that journey with you so that's been like a big less than just comparing the two experiences of starting a
1: business that's really interesting because obviously you have done both and when i've been browsing you know different articles and stuff on the internet the general thing that i've seen more often than not is people saying don't get a business partner okay and that's obviously you know people speaking from their own experiences and stuff but somebody's done both you Mm. would recommend getting a business partner
0: yeah i mean i guess like (laughs) i've definitely met people who've had a business plan and then it hasn't worked out you sure. know, so that, that there is like a risk there that like maybe you're not going to get along or I think like basically what you have to figure out very early on is like do you have the same vision of where you're trying to get to do you have the same end point that you're trying to get to because if you do then all the little problems and all the little ups and downs along the way can be solved because ultimately you're both just trying to figure out how to get to that place yeah but if fundamentally one of you is thinking a completely different objective for this business or project then you know it's going to unravel at some point isn't it sure. because there's going to be problems or there's going to be ups and downs so you got to figure out pretty early on like whether you have the same end point in mind
1: yeah no that's a great point point. and last question <laughs> if you could give any piece of advice people who are trying to start up are always reading or getting the same mm-hmm. advice which is execute do this and that experiment but what piece of advice would you give as a long-term business owner what's been like your biggest lesson
0: um, well, I guess like I remember like being at very early on, people would tell you your business has to have a unique selling point, a USP. You know, there has to be some unique fact, you know, feature to your business, and that's how you're gonna compete. That's how you're gonna stand out. But then you kind of realize like that's not really true. Like most things aren't that like, unique. There's often like. Pretty similar products, you know, for other successful yeah. brands. There's, there's like a fairly similar other product that you could buy. Really, like when you think about it, if you do come up with something unique, if you invent some kind of wacky invention that's completely unique, if it's any good, someone will copy it very quickly. And so, the only thing that you can do to really like protect your business to make something that's valuable, it's not about coming up with a unique product or unique invention or feature. It's about coming up with like a unique brand, a unique story, a unique philosophy about what it is your company believe. You know, a unique business model, an approach of doing things, yes. a unique company culture. These are all things that can be very unique. They can be sure. to- totally, or they could be the only company in the world that's organized in a particular way. So if you focus on that and figure out, yeah, how do we how do we do something in a way that's different to other people? in those ways then you can make something that nobody else can copy nobody else can compete with if you're you know doing it in your own way yeah and that's what makes something have longevity that's what makes it hopefully valuable a great place to work that, that kind of thing so yeah for me that's been a, a big lesson is not to think all the time about how to like make your product unique think about how to make your business unique how to make like the, the culture and the brand figure out what that means in your own business and yeah focus on, on that
1: yeah i like that a lot i've never <laughs> heard it before so that's unique in itself <laughs> <laughs> great fraser thank you so much My pleasure johnny right, yeah, cheers. Thank you. <laughs> guys and there it is as you can see i was very lucky getting fraser as my first interviewee The guy is just like a wealth of knowledge he's been doing the entrepreneur thing for so long super interesting nice guy and hopefully you guys got some value or some takeaways from it if you liked it as always please subscribe leave a review send me any feedback on the instagram page i'm always listening reading responding if you really liked it and you want to support it screenshot it share it on your instagram story let people know what you liked about it and we will be back on Monday with the next episodes. Thanks again for listening, I massively appreciate it. Cheers.